Hey, we have, uh, for the last couple months, actually been in a series uh, where we've been kind of talking about uh, God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And so we did a series called Promised Land, and we talked about uh, the nation of Israel being in slavery, and then God rescues his people. He hears the cries of his people and sends Moses and, and rescues his people, and he promises them uh, salvation and freedom and purpose and identity. He, he promises that, that he's going to give them a family. And really, the, the way he seals that deal is he says that he'll be with them, and not only is he going to be with them, but he's going to promise them a very specific land called the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And so we've been talking about the, the nation of Israel's journey from Egypt to the desert uh, into the promised land. And this is kind of where we've, we've landed is the idea that uh, even though God has promised the nation of Israel the promised land, there are still things like obstacles. Uh, there's still things like armies and enemies and giants that stand in the way. And so we've been talking about the fact that this can be true for your life and for my life. That Jesus in John 10.10 10 has said that he promises to give us life and life to the full. Depending on the translation of the Bible you use, it might say abundant life. And I absolutely 100% believe uh, that Jesus promises that. But just like the nation of Israel going to the promised land, the reality is, is there's some obstacles that can stand in our way of that. There's some Enemies that can stand in our way of that. There are some big, ugly, smelly, hairy giants that can stand in the way of that. And I absolutely love that song that we sang earlier that said, I've seen you move the mountains. I've seen you make a way when there was no way. And God, I believe I'll see you do it again. And that's based on the fact that that God did move mountains, that God did destroy the walls of Jericho, and that we can trust that we have a God that as we read throughout Scripture, that when we've seen him move valleys and part the waves and calm the seas and destroy the enemies and slay our giants, that we can believe and put our faith in and be comforted by that we have a God who is powerful, we have a God who works, we have a God who is with us and for us, he'll never leave us forsake us, and he promises us that everything that we encounter in our lives, everything, he promises to take that situation and work it out for our good and his glory. And see, the good news that we've been talking about is the fact that there is a giant slayer, and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus being fully God and fully man dies on the cross in our place for our sin. And he raises victorious on the third day. He raises victorious over sin. He raises victorious over Satan. He raises victorious over death itself. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus dies in our place for our sin so that we might be saved, so that he would absorb the wrath of God that you and I deserve, that our sins would be washed away, that he would pay that price in the same way that he rose in the victory that you and I would have the victory that Jesus shares his victory with you and with me. In fact, not only does God desire victory for your life, he gives us his son, Jesus, who is the source of our victory. But the reality is, is that if we're honest, we still face enemies. But we still face giants. And we need Jesus to be our giant slayer. 
So last week we talked about this idea of fear. And that fear is a very real thing. And there's things to be afraid of. But Jesus says that when we have a relationship with him, there's actually another option that we as Christ followers, not because we're so strong, not because we're so awesome, not because we're so great, but because he's so strong and because he's so awesome and because he's so great, that we actually don't have to live by fear. We can live by faith even when there's things to be afraid of, that Jesus calms the winds and the storm and the waves. So even in the storms of your life and even in the storms of my life, we can walk by faith. And what I'd like to talk about today is something that every single one of us experience on one level or another, and that's anxiety. Uh, we've all been anxious about something at some point in our lives. In fact, for the last couple of weeks, I've gone on Facebook and just asked people, hey, tell me what you're afraid of, or tell me what causes you to be anxious. And, and these are some of the, the things that the people said. Money, having enough money to be able to pay all the bills and take care of everything. Uh, being alone. People said when they think about the future, it causes anxiety. Uh, being loved or accepted by others. Uh, going to the doctor or facing surgery causes anxiety. Uh, finding the right spouse or thinking about having a good marriage, uh, raising kids, uh, deadlines and things at work cause anxiety. Schoolwork came up, that getting all the, the stuff done for school causes anxiety. Someone Facebook messaged, messaged me and said, getting ready for retirement gives me anxiety. Someone wrote on my post, this post gives me anxiety. <laughs> Someone messaged me and said, you preaching about anxiety gives me anxiety. <laughs> and I'll just be honest with you, anxiety is something every single one of us face. Like, I am a creature of habit. I have preached every message for the last six years off the same iPad, and it died last night. <laughs> yeah, so last night was not awesome. This morning was not awesome. And even now, I'm borrowing an iPad, and I'm trusting that God will be good to me through this iPad, because it's not my iPad, right? So we all have anxiety. Now, here's the thing. Anxiety is actually natural. And anxiety can show up in our lives in really three different ways. It can be physical, spiritual, and emotional. And here's the thing. I want to bring that up, because the fact is, is that you can physically have some stuff that causes you to be anxious. So there's actually chemicals and endorphins and things in your body that can cause you to be anxious. Now, it's emotional. There's things that you can worry about. There's people that you love, situations, and there's even spiritual anxiety. And just to give you some, some full disclosure, uh, up until a couple weeks ago, I probably wasn't fully prepared to preach this message because uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I had my first and I hope my last anxiety attack. Wasn't worried about anything. Had nothing going on. There wasn't a deadline. There wasn't like something I was biting my nails over worried about. But I woke up one morning and was convinced that I was going to die. And I felt really wound up. I felt like I had pain in my body. I couldn't sleep at night. And it lasted about three days. And I was just convinced this is the end. So I finally called my doctor and said, hey, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. And he said, I want you to go to the emergency room, which didn't help my anxiety. Because I already thought I was going to die. And now I thought, now I'm driving to the place where I am going to die. So I get back in the emergency room and they run all kinds of tests and test everything under the sun. And 
and kind of put me in a room, and I thought, this is where I, I die. So I'm like working on my last will and testament on my phone. And, and the doctor comes in and he goes, I want you to know you're totally fine. I said, I don't feel fine. He said, well, you're not having a heart attack. Your lungs are clear. Your blood pressure is okay. You're having an anxiety attack. And I said, well, what do we do about this? And he said, nothing. We're just going to leave you in this room to write it out. And I was like, can I go home and write it out? Like, I have my family at home. I have my couch at home. I can sit in my favorite shorts at home. Here I'm in a gown that's open in the back, surrounded by strangers watching TV shows I don't enjoy. Can I go home and write it out? And the reality is, is they ran a bunch of tests. I went and saw my regular doctor, and he came back and said, hey, they did a bunch of tests. We want to do a bunch of tests. So I was like a lab rat for a day. And they came back, and they said, here's the deal. You have some enzymes in your body that are caused by stress, and you just have too much of it. And he said, so your levels got so high that your body didn't know what to do with it, so your body manifested all these symptoms as a way to deal with all these enzymes. And I said, so what do I do about this? And my doctor said, I want you to exercise, I want you to take days off, and I want you to go on vacation. And I was like, can I get that on a prescription card? <laughs> Is there like a hotel I can take it to? I said, my doctor said. And he said, listen, bro, this was completely physical. And here's, here's why I bring that up. is because I want to be so sensitive to this subject because there's people in the room that you've gone to church before and they've talked about anxiety and you thought to yourself, you just don't understand. And you're probably right. And if I didn't have that experience a few weeks ago, I would probably be one of those guys that you would listen to and go, you don't understand. Because listen, there's some of you that you have chronic anxiety. And it's called, caused by enzymes and chemicals and endorphins and different things. And so when people say, hey, do not be anxious, you think, that's awesome. I'd love not to be anxious, but if you could somehow tell my body not to be anxious, we could get on the same page and we wouldn't be anxious. So listen, for some of us, anxiety is an issue. And it's not even a sin issue. It's an issue that we face. In fact, 40 million Americans struggle with what's considered chronic anxiety. And I want you to know that you have a Savior that loves you. You have a God who fully understands you. And so when he says things to you like, do not be anxious, I don't think he's hanging you on the line going, and this is something you'll never actually be able to achieve. So if you struggle with this, stick with me because I'm with you. And I hope I understand enough that we can get through this this morning because the message today is not this. The message today is not in the name of Jesus, suck it up, buttercup. That is not the message this morning. There's no judgment here. There's only hope here. And so I hope that we can take this journey together because the message today is that we're all broken people who live in a broken world, and the only place that we can find our strength, the only place we can find our security, the only place that we can find refuge in the storm, the only place we find the light in our darkness is in Jesus, and my hope is that we can discover that together today. Because the thing about anxiety is that it almost always comes out of nowhere. 
In fact, that's what I love about Matthew 17 is uh, Jesus has been teaching for a while. There's a crowd following him. He's performed some miracles, and, and, and there's some traction behind his ministry, traction behind uh, people wanting to know him or at least being amazed by him. And some pretty significant things happen in uh, Matthew chapter 17. Uh, for those of you that have been around church, you've maybe heard it called this before, but Jesus takes James, Peter, and John uh, up onto the mountain with him, and we call this uh, the, the transfiguration, that Jesus takes a few of the disciples, James, John, Peter, up on the mountain, and they're out on the mountain worshiping, praying, and this big miraculous thing happens. Both Moses and Elijah show up, and this is a miracle because they're both dead for a long time. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, these guys show up and, and really proclaiming the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that Moses isn't the Messiah, Elijah isn't the Messiah, but they're giving tribute to Jesus as the Messiah. And, and Jesus begins to glow, that's why they call it the transfiguration, that his clothes, his face, that he emits this glory. And what I think is for the first time, Peter, James, and John begin to see just a glimmer of the glory that Jesus has always has. They begin to see him as he truly is, not masked by the flesh. And just like in Jesus' baptism, the voice of the Father shows up and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And what's different than at Jesus' baptism is that Peter, James, and John are there and they hear the voice. And at the end, there's a little comma and it says, Listen to him. So God the Father addresses Peter, James, and John. It's like, hey, by the way, this is the Messiah. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so they're afraid for a moment because they're in the glory and the power and the majesty of God. So the scripture says they close their eyes and they fall to their knees in this great moment. And it says Jesus touches them. And they open their eyes and it's just them and Jesus. And as they begin to walk down the mountain, Jesus says to them, hey, hey guys, Peter, James, John, I don't want you to share this story with anyone until after I've died and risen again. Like, let's just keep this between us. And Matthew tells us a little bit later that Jesus heals a boy who was sick. And he'd been seen by other doctors, but no one was able to heal him. And the reason that no one was able to heal him is Jesus reveals that his sickness was actually caused by a demon, that this was a demonic thing happening in the boy's life. And so Jesus, the giant slayer, sets the boy free. So there's these big moments, and then the unexpected happened. What the scripture says in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 24, says, And then they came to Copernicum. And Copernicum is interesting because it's the hometown of Jesus, and it's also the hometown of Peter. And something expected, unexpected happens, and, and this is what happens in our lives, right? The unexpected happens. You go to get the mail, and all of a sudden there's an unexpected bill or a bill that's more expensive than you thought. You get that. Uh, one day you're driving in the car and the check engine light comes on or the gas light comes on and there's not a gas station for miles. Uh, this is when you go to school one day and the teacher says, pop quiz, and the blood pressure rises because you haven't been paying attention, and now the pop quiz is going to show up. This is when your boss tells you on a Friday morning he wants to see you before you leave Friday afternoon. This is when the doctor office calls and says, the results are in, the doctor wants to see you. When the unexpected happens, 
anxiety tends to happen in our lives. And so Jesus and some of the disciples are together, and they've been kind of riding this momentum, at least Peter, James, and John, and the awesome stuff's been happening. And Matthew 17, it says they go to Copernicum, the hometown of Peter and Jesus, and the collectors of the two drachma tax went to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now this is interesting, we don't do this in our day, but in Jesus' time, what the religious leaders did is they would tax uh, everyone in the hometown a tax to take care of the temple. Now, it wasn't lawfully enforced. Like, you couldn't go to jail for not paying this tax, but it could tarnish your reputation. So you're like, well, hey, that business owner, like, yeah, good guy, you might want to order pizza from him, but doesn't pay the temple tax. Like, ooh, I don't know if I want to support that guy. <laughs> Like, hey, uh, i got to choose between two hardware stores. Well, hey, that guy pays the temple tax, and that guy doesn't. Well, I'll go to the guy, because I'm a good Jewish boy. I'll, I'll go to the guy that pays the temple tax. So Peter gets confronted by one of these guys. And he says, hey, doesn't your teacher pay the, the, the tax? And I think Peter panics, because what he realizes is that Jesus' reputation is on the line, and Peter needs to do something about this. Because he, he doesn't want Jesus' name to be tarnished. He doesn't want to be like, yeah, God, guy claims to be the Son of God, performs some miracles, water the wine, you know, just healed a, a demon-possessed boy, but doesn't pay the temple tax. What's up with that guy? And so Peter, I think, is a little anxious. Uh, Peter is a little stressed out because here's what, we're, here's what we know. They do not have the money for the tax. When Judas is in charge of accounts receivable, <laughs> there's problems. Don't just trust anybody with your money. And I love this because Peter could have done all kinds of things after this conversation. Right? He could have gone fishing. He's a professional fisherman. Been like, listen, you know, this is a small tax. I'll just go catch some fish, sell them, pay the tax. It's his hometown, so he could have asked some family and friends, like, hey, can me and Jesus borrow some money? He could have gone to the street corner and held out his hat and begged, hey, help me pay the temple tax. Like, there's all kinds of things that Peter could have done, but what Peter did was he went directly to Jesus. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Anxiety is always an opportunity to trust God. Anxiety is always an opportunity to trust God. See, Peter could have chosen, hey, I don't want to distract Jesus. Like, hey, I don't want to bring Jesus the bad news. I don't want to bring Jesus down with this. Peter could have chosen, I'll just take care of this myself. But instead, Peter knew this is an opportunity to get something I'm concerned about to the feet of my Savior. So Peter turns and goes directly to Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. Anxiety isn't always a bad thing. In fact, anxiety in many ways is kind of a warning system for ourselves. It kind of puts things on our radar of, of the things that we're concerned about. That you've never been anxious about something that doesn't matter to you. You've never been anxious about something that's not important to you. Anxiety 
always kind of works like a radar system where you're anxious about something and you're telling yourself, hey, there's something I think I should be concerned about because it matters. There's something I'm concerned about or worried about because it's important. You've never lost a night's sleep thinking about things that were not important to you. You've never stayed awake at night worrying about other kids' grades, have you? Now, if like you said, hey, my kid has a big test coming up, I'd pray for your kid. I'd pray for the test. But I'd probably sleep just fine. But if my own kids were struggling in school, I'd worry about that. Like, you've never probably worried about other people's deadlines at work. You've worried about your deadlines at work. You've probably lost sleep over your deadlines at work. But you've probably never stayed awake at night and said, you know what, I just can't sleep because I'm worried that my neighbor might have a deadline this week. Anxiety always reveals what's important to us. We worry about the things we care about. And so Peter knows that anxiety is an opportunity to put his trust in Jesus, and so he goes to Jesus. And I love this because Matthew 17, starting in verse... 25. See, he, he walks in the door. And I love this because Peter puts his foot in his mouth. Like Peter answers for Jesus. Hey, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes. Well, obviously Jesus didn't. So he walks into the house and Jesus spoke to him first saying, I love this. I, I imagine this. Peter storming in the door and Jesus interrupts him and goes, hey, Peter, quick question. Who do you think, son, from who do the kings of the earth take their toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. And this is all about Jesus' identity. Jesus is going, hey, just real quick question. I know what you're worried about. I know you're worried about this temple tax thing. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at someone next to you and say, Jesus already knows. Look at someone next to you and say, Jesus already knows. <laughs> This is important. Because Peter runs to Jesus, and Jesus already knows. Peter hasn't even told Jesus yet, hey, I need some money for the tax. He walks to the door and goes, hey, I know. Here, quick question. From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And Peter's like, well, kings don't tax their own sons. Like, kings don't go to princes and go, hey, pay the, pay the castle tax. She says, no, you're free. And Jesus goes, that's, the sons are free. And this is about identity in two, in two ways, because with Jesus going, hey, my heavenly father doesn't charge me to enter into his presence. He's like, I, I'm, I'm the son of God. So my father doesn't charge me to enter into his presence. And then this becomes about the identity of Peter, because Peter's going, hey, and you know what, Peter? My heavenly father doesn't charge you to enter into his presence either. He says, hey, Peter, I'm going to pay that tax for you. I will die on the cross in your place for your sins. I will give my life, even though I'm holy, blameless, spotless, and pure. I will pay the price. I will ransom you. I'm going to purchase you so that you can be united with my Father. The Holy Spirit will dwell in you, and you won't need to go to temple. You'll actually be a living temple. And then I love Jesus, because Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, he says, However, 
Not to give an offense to the religious folks. Like, let's not give them anything to be mad about. Let's not give them anything to talk about. Because they're already mad enough and they already have enough to talk about. He goes, however, not to give an offense, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take and give it to them for me and for yourself. I love this. Jesus goes, hey, Peter, I want you to go fishing. He goes, first fish, open its mouth. And you will find more than you need. In fact, I'm not just going to pay my temple tax, Peter. I'm going to pay your temple tax. And so the scripture says, Jesus goes fishing, caught a fish. Some theologians believe it was a catfish. I'm like, who cares? I don't care if it's a carp. If it's got money in its mouth, I'm in. <laughs> Jesus provides for Peter and he pays the temple tax. And I think, what an incredible story. Like, I imagine that, that Peter, for the rest of his life, thought, whenever I have a need, I can just go to Jesus and he'll provide. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, but I wonder if from that day forward, if every time Peter caught a fish, if he checked its mouth, I would. <laughs> just wonder if every day forward he caught a fish, he kind of looked around and was like, real quick, see if there's a coin in there. Okay, no, I'm good. In fact, this moment, I think, was so important for Peter and I think it was so important for you and for me that it's recorded in Scripture for us forever because I think here's our big takeaway, right? Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And not, does he, not only does He know what you need, He's able to provide for you. In fact, <coughs> we could take from this story in Matthew 17 that before you even tell Jesus what you need, he already knows. And he's able to provide for you. And I think this stuck with Peter. I imagine as Peter went about doing ministry, as Peter traveled the world, as, as Peter was persecuted and oppressed, he always remembered this moment and thought, you know what? No matter what I need, Jesus can provide. No matter what kind of situation I'm in, Jesus can provide. Even if I don't have any money, Jesus can put a coin in a fish's mouth and provide for me. If my heavenly Father has it, it's available to me through him. And a few years later, Peter is persecuted and imprisoned in Rome. And Peter has so much angst against Rome, he actually calls Rome Babylon. And he's like, you know what this Roman country's like? It's like Babylon where David was. And in 1 Peter, he's writing to churches that are suffering and being persecuted. He's writing to Christians that are suffering and being persecuted, and he's encouraging them, and he's reminding them of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He's reminding them that our circumstances do not define the size of our God, but our God informs our circumstances. And he's writing about all kinds of things, about God's grace and, and how to operate and what it looks like to be a Christian. And he's talking about churches, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to turn there, it's towards the back of your Bible. You get to 2 Peter, you went too far, we're in 1 Peter. He's actually writing to the church. And he's given all kinds of like really specific instructions for the church. He's talking to pastors and elders. He tells young men to submit to the authority of older men. And he's, he's given kind of all this instruction for the way the church works healthy and properly. And then in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6, he goes, hey guys, just real quick, this is so important. Something I know. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he 
may exalt you, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter goes, hey guys, I want you to know something. I know you have stuff to be anxious about. And Peter's like, believe me, there's plenty of stuff that I've been anxious about. But here's what I want you to know about your anxiety. And the first thing Peter says to you and he says to me is that you and I are not meant to carry anxiety. But whenever we feel anxious, we should cast our anxiety upon our Heavenly Father. So, so I told you earlier that I had a, a little kind of flare-up of anxiety. And one of the things my doctor told me is I, I had to start exercising. And, and I know people who love running. I know people who love exercising. I am not one of them. I've never enjoyed my drive to the gym. I've never enjoyed my time in the gym. I've never enjoyed the ride home from the gym. And I've never enjoyed the two days after the gym. That's just me. <laughs> like I told you last week, you see me running. Don't assume it's for fun. Assume something bad's coming and you should join me. So I took the doctor seriously and I started working out with a guy once a week who's like a trainer. And so a couple weeks ago, we were working out, and he gives me a 10-pound kettlebell. If you know what a kettlebell is, it's like a cannonball with a handle. Some of you know, because you're like, oh, it's a torture device. And it is. So he gives me a 10-pound kettlebell, and I'm like, bro, that's cute. I can handle that. He said, here's what I want you to do. He shows me this kind of pull, and he goes, I want you to pull this as many times as you can. And I was like, I was being cocky. I'm like, how long do you want to be here? Uh, 10 pounds. So I start pulling this thing. Start pulling it. And I'm like rocking it. I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm like, yeah. how many do you want? He goes, until you can't do any more. I'm like, we can be here a while. And also, that 10 pound weight felt like 20 pounds. Then it felt like 30 pounds. Then we've jumped from 30 to 60, right? I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And before you know it, it's like I'm Atlas trying to hold the world above my head. You know, I got a 10 pound weight, and I'm like, yeah! I'm screaming, I'm going to do it. And I totally failed. And then I got done, he's like, next arm. I'm like, no, no, I'm done. He's like, no, left arm. And the reason I share that with you is because, listen, some of us are exhausted. Some of us are worn out because you are carrying things that you are not meant to carry. You are carrying things that are too heavy for you to carry. And what Peter says is, but God's got it. He can handle it. In fact, he invites you and he invites me to take the thing that's too heavy for us. And he says, no, just cast it upon him in his mighty hand. Because the burden that's too big for you to carry is not too big for God to carry. He's got it. You don't need to hold it. You belong under his mighty hand where he says, no, no, I've got it. Peter said, the things that you're carrying, you were never meant to carry. But your heavenly father will carry them for you. I love the way that Charles Hatton Spurgeon puts it. He says, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it only empties today of its strength. That when I'm anxious today about tomorrow, it just robs me today of the joy and the strength I could have See, Peter's instructions to you and to me is that we would humble ourselves and get under the mighty hand of God. Well, humility then begins when we admit that we are not strong enough. 
So we try to hold things. We, we try to stay in control of things. We try to hold things up that we're not supposed to hold up. And Peter says, no, no, humble yourself. So humility begins when we admit to ourselves that we are not strong enough. That there are certain things that we're just not in control of. There's just certain things that we can't hold up any longer. There's just certain things that belong in the hands of our Father. I love the way that Pastor John Piper says it. He says, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others thinks about you will make you lie and stretch the truth. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to a many other sins. But see, what if instead of trying to carry all those things, we just said, hey God, we're going to put those in your hands. In fact, I really believe, according to the scripture, that anxiety begins to lose its hold when we believe that God both cares for us and is able to provide. In fact, practically speaking, I think we make the transfer from anxiety on our back onto God's back when we really begin to believe that, number one, he cares, and number two, he's able. See, Peter's being really specific here. This isn't like some general thing to crochet and put on your wall and say, that's cute. Peter's going to know, what are you worried about? Peter asked you and he asked me, what are you anxious about? He says, now take that very thing, that very specific thing that you're concerned about, worried about, that causes you to be anxious. And he says, now place it into the hand of your father. He says, in general. Specific. What are you worried about? Then you take that very thing and you cast your anxiety on God. It's actually a command the way it's written. The Peter said, I'm commanding you to cast your anxiety on God. The promise is, is he cares for you. It means that the very thing that you're concerned about, the very thing that you're worried about, God wants to be trusted for that thing. It means when you go to the mailbox and you open up the bill that's way bigger than you thought it would be, God specifically cares about that bill. And he wants you to trust him for it. When your boss says, hey, I need to see you on Friday before you leave, God cares about what your boss just said to you, and he'll provide for it. When the doctor calls and says, we need to follow up, God cares about that call, and he wants you to trust him for it. When the teacher says, pop quiz, God cares about the quiz, and he wants you to trust him for it. When the gas light comes on and you're miles away from the gas station, God says, I care about the gas light, and I want you to trust me. When the scriptures say that God cares, it means he will not stand by and do nothing. It means that he will actively be involved in your situation. He will act. He will work. He will do something. It may not always be what you want him to do, how you want him to do it, and when you want him to do it, but he promises that he will work for your good and his glory. He promises you. 
And whatever it is that causes you to be anxious, God promises you that he loves you, John 3, 16. He promises you that he'll never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. He promises that he will see you through, Isaiah 43, 2. He promises you that he will take your situation and he will work it out for your good and his glory, Romans 8, 28. And he promises you that no matter how big it is, no matter how scared you are, he will see you through, 2 Corinthians 9. So in our time wrapping up this morning, what do we do to start slaying the anxiety giant? Well, I just want to give you a couple practical things. The first one is this, is you need to develop a rhythm of prayer in your life. You need to develop a rhythm of prayer. Prayer is how we cast our anxieties upon God. Prayer is the means, it's the function in which, it's the muscle and this is how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Peter and Paul are like, listen, whenever you get anxious, it's an opportunity. Like, instead of worrying, what if every time you got anxious, you just started praying, hey, God, here's what I'm worried about. And, and, and I love the way that Paul says it, because he gives you permission to make requests. Hey, God, here's what's going on, and here's what I'd like to see happen. Hey, God, here's what's going on, and if you could. Hey, God, if you would. Hey, God, here's the situation. I'm trusting you could. I'm making some requests, but here's what I'm doing. I'm giving it to you. I don't know who said it, but somebody said it. It wasn't me, so I can't take credit. But there's a quote floating around with many names behind it. But it says this, give your troubles to God. He'll be up all night anyway. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I'm go, hey God, before I go to bed tonight, like my head is swirling. There's lots of stuff that I'd be worried about. Listen, but you're going to be up all night anyway. Like you still got the whole world in your hands. So here's all the things I'm worried about. Here's all the things I'm concerned about. Here's all the things I'd really like you to do. And if you could make coffee for me in the morning while you're working all this, God, that'd be great. And you just cast it on. And so when the scripture says, do not be anxious, listen, the reality is for some of you, it is easier than others. Some of you know somebody and you've been like, this guy's never been worried about anything in his whole life. And there's some of us that wake up in the morning and we're already worried just because we woke up that way. <laughs> but God's desire for you is not to be marked by anxiety. So it means we have to fight the battle. It means we have to refuse to allow anxiety to rule us. And one of the first ways we do that is by replacing our worry with prayer. But worries like a hamster on a treadmill. It's going nowhere fast. But prayer is the way in which we transfer our anxieties into the hands of God. And then Paul gives us another idea, number two. He says, to receive God's peace. Philippians 4, 7, he keeps going. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen, as you begin to pray and you transfer your stuff onto God's hand, then you can also say, hey, God, give me peace. 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 Hey, God, I receive your peace. I know it's not solved yet, but God, I just thank you that it's in your hands. Hey, God, I know it's not solved yet, but I know you know about it. Hey, God, I know it's not solved yet. I know that bill's not paid yet. I know I still have to see the boss in a few minutes, but here's the thing. I put it in your hands, and I trust that you will do something, so give me peace. 
So start a rhythm of prayer. Receive God's peace. Number three, no one fights alone. Like if this is a battle for you, if this is difficult for you, you need to recruit people to help you in the battle. No one was designed to do life alone. No one was designed to fight battles alone. If you are consistently anxious, worried, and concerned, then find people to walk that journey with you. Surround yourself with some friends who love you and care for you and will help you carry that burden. I would suggest to you that you need people who have won the battle with anxiety to help you with anxiety. A bunch of anxious people sharing their anxieties with one another is just going to end up with more anxiety. So find someone that's a little ahead of you in that. And listen, I know a group of pastors, one of the things we talk about when we get together is we have a code word that we text each other. Whenever someone sends that code word, it means like, hey, details to come, but just pray like crazy now. And so maybe get that with someone. Hey, if I ever just text you like, you know, whatever, just know that I'm anxious. I need your prayer. And I'll fill you in later. Get some friends to walk alongside you. Listen, there is no shame in getting a counselor or a coach. Listen, like if, if, if someone was going to train for the Olympics, they'd get a coach and get someone to help them. Like there is no shame in seeing a counselor. I hate that we live in a culture where there's like a stigma that, like, oh, I have to see a counselor. Like, what? Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I've seen a counselor, I have a counselor who I love, and he's a great guy, and he's helped me with many things. Sometimes we need to seek, like, we need to seek counsel from people who know more than us and can help us. If you need that, then get some counsel, and like, I'll high-five you on the way into the office. You should feel no shame about that. And for some of you, it probably means that you need to see a doctor. Because there's some chemical stuff going on that, like, you're just not going to be able to control without a doctor's help. And listen, listen, listen. Like, I just, I just, I don't, I don't want you to feel burnt by the church or hurt by the church or demeaned by the church. Listen, we live in an age where God has given us technology and medicine. Like, if I'm struggling with something and my doctor goes, I can help you with that, I'm like, praise God for science, praise God for a doctor, and praise God for Walgreens. There's absolutely nothing wrong about getting a doctor's help when it comes to anxiety. Right, I encourage you to do it. Four, this is the least exciting, this is why it's last. Start exercising again. <laughs> Listen, you and I were designed by God to do work. I don't like it. I don't understand it. But there's chemicals, endorphins, and brain waves that all improve when you exercise. So maybe go for a walk. Go for a run, you crazy people. <laughs> go to the gym. Figure out what works for you. But listen, once a week, every week, I have a date on my calendar where I go to the gym and I leave it all at the gym. And usually what I leave at my gym, at the gym is the ability to walk. And so if you see me Wednesday or Thursday, I don't look great. But I also walk out and go, man, all that stress, all that anger, all that anxiety is on the floor and I really need a shower. But every single one of us needs to figure it out. Listen, doctors point out, don't miss this, doctors point out, 75% of all doctor visits in America are stress or anxiety related. So the next time you go to the doctor's office, you'd be like cold, flu, anxiety, 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 anxiety. In fact, Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic once wrote this. He says, worry 
affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. Though I have never known a man who died of overwork, I have known many who died of worry. One of the ways we can combat worry and anxiety in our lives is by working out. Listen, there's all kinds of stuff that we can worry about. There's all kinds of stuff that we can be anxious about. There will be things that make you anxious. But every time you're anxious, it's an opportunity for you to trust. In Jesus. And so whatever it is that you're worried about today, whatever it is that you're anxious about today, on that entire list that you have running through your head, on behalf of your Savior, Jesus is one. I would remind you that he invites you to take all your worry, take all your anxiety, and to put it in his hands. Because he cares. He knows. And he's able. In fact, I leave you with these words of Jesus in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you, that in Jesus you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, because Jesus has overcome the world, including all that stuff you're anxious about.